Well, I just want to introduce our guest speaker today, uh, Chris Vallotton from uh, Redding, California. Chris, uh, I've never met until this morning, um, but he has influenced me and our church phenomenally through Bethel, the church that he has helped lead uh, with Bill Johnson for many years, and uh, also through the school, BSSM, which they run, which inspired our own TSM school, um, which has been a phenomenal part of our community. His book, uh, Supernatural Ways of Royalty, has influenced massively our uh, calling to teach people about their identity and he's just a great great guy and it's such a privilege to have you with us Chris we just want to honor you for all you are and all that you bring to the world we recognize you as a prophet in this house and wider and we just thank you for coming and being with us this morning let's welcome Chris show as he comes to speak thank you mate great to have you guys are known for being reserved. <laughs> well, um, it's the first time I've ever been to this part of England, and I love your country. You can keep your weather. <laughs> Last time I was in London was at the European Advance, and it was the hottest day in the history of your country. Thank you. And you guys don't know about air conditioning or ice yet. So, yeah. Well, um, why don't you grab a hand? We're going to just pray. It's come to that. And if you're sitting next to someone you'd like to date, just squeeze their hand. And <laughs> if that's a yes, just squeeze back. And <clears throat> the single people love my meetings. Even atheists come to my meetings. So, Lord, we just we pray for your grace to be on us today. We pray for a spirit of revelation to be in the room, that we'd see things we've never seen hear things we've never heard, so we can be people we've never been and do things we've never done before. We pray for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, um, my wife sends you her love. Um, I, I uh, met my wife when she was 12, got engaged when she was 13. True story. And got married when she was 17, so this was our 40th year anniversary this year. We have four kids, and yeah, the miracles. We have four kids and eight grandkids, and um, I like the grandkids a lot better. I would really skip right to grandkids if I have my choice. And uh, uh, I have a 17-year-old granddaughter and a 16-year-old grandson all the way down to uh, nine, eight years old, so I've got five teenagers. That's always fun. My, uh, my, one of my grandsons, his name's Evan, he was uh, about three years ago, I think he, Evan was uh, six at the time, he likes to make money, <laughs> and he likes to work for his grandmother, because he can do a little work and get a lot of money. <laughs> so he comes over to our house one day, and, and uh, Kathy, my wife, is uh, shopping, so he comes in the house, doesn't say hi, he says, Papa, I want to make some money. I said, um, okay. He said, Grandma, she paid me. First, she says, Grandma here? I said, no, Grandma's shopping. He goes, oh, I want to make some money. I said, okay. He says, Grandma, she gives me money for work. I'm like, yeah, your grandmother gives you money for nothing. I know how this works. <laughs> so I took him out on the back deck, and it was, uh, it was um, fall, and our deck was maybe twice the size of the stage, and it was leaves about two inches deep, and I said, well, I'll give you a broom and a dustpan, and you can sweep the leaves, and I'll pay you for it. He said, okay, I sweep the leaves. 
Well, first I gave him the wrong broom and then the wrong dustpan. My grandma gives me the red broom. I'm like, whatever, you know? <laughs> so I give him the broom and the dustpan and finally get the right one. And he's sweeping the leaves and I, we have a pool. And I went out to the pool and I was cleaning the pool. And about three minutes goes by and he's out at the pool chasing butterflies. I said, Evan, did you finish cleaning the pool? He said, no, I, I'd be tired. <laughs> did you sw- finish clean, uh, sweeping leaves? No, I'd be tired. I said, you're, you're tired? He said, oh, I'm so tired. I said, Superman doesn't get tired. He said, Superman doesn't sweep leaves. <laughs> of course Superman doesn't get tired. Superman doesn't sweep leaves. <laughs> you know, um, all of us have experiences in life, and we, this is probably a common phrase among believers, you know, that meeting changed my life, or that message changed my life. And and, and maybe it changed our life, but mostly what we're saying is that had influence on me, and, and maybe it opened a door for me, or it, it, it helped me with something. But we also have encounters that actually change our life, like we're actually different after the encounter. And I want to tell you about an encounter I had. Um, you know, the first encounter I've ever had in my life um, was um, before I got saved when I was 15 years old. My mother was on the couch sick. My father had drowned when I was three years old. And uh, my mother married a, a very um, violent man and had just divorced him. And so um, she was laying on the couch covered in psoriasis. And uh, at 15, I'm oldest of three. I didn't, wasn't raised to believe there was a God. I wasn't raised to be an atheist. I was just raised to be a nothing. And so um, at 15 years old, laying in bed at night, my mother sleeping with a gun. We can have guns in America because we're trusted. And myself sleeping with a, with a rifle, and I'd, we'd had a prowler for about a year breaking into our house, and so he'd been in our house three times, and I'd taken a shot at him the night before this incident I'm going to talk to you about, and, and um, I, I just terrified at night, I said out loud, probably three o'clock in the morning, God, if there's a God, I said, if there's a God, if you heal my mother, I'll find out who you are, and I'll serve you the rest of my life. An audible voice said, my name is Jesus Christ, and you have what you requested. The next morning, my mother was totally healed of psoriasis, which covered her entire body. The voice came back a week later and said, my name is Jesus Christ. You said, if I healed your mother, you'd serve me, and I'm waiting. So I, I began this, that began a journey for me. I, um, I, as I told you, my, my girlfriend, then, then girlfriend, now wife, we began this journey in searching for God three years we went went from church to church i didn't all i knew is that his name was jesus so you know that eliminated muhammad and buddha and which were all options for me at the time because you know i didn't know who god was and i didn't want any part of religion i'd seen that before and so i would go from church to church and stand in the back of the church just walking as a kid from church to church in my neighborhoods and uh, i would say the god who spoke to me isn't here now just to be clear God could have easily been there. I didn't know what I was looking for. I just figured that wherever I was supposed to be, that he would connect with me. And then at 18 years old, with my then-girlfriend, 15-year-old Kathy, we were sitting in a meeting with a bunch of Jesus people. You guys heard of Jesus people? Did you guys have Jesus people here in the 60s and 70s? Long-haired hippies who had come off of drugs, which we were neither. We took baths all of our life. We ended up in this house with a bunch of kids, Jesus people off of drugs, and 
They were singing songs like hallelujah. Do you remember that song? Okay, well, you're part of the Jesus movement then. So, <laughs> and so we're sitting on the floor in this house uh, packed with kids, over 100 kids. In fact, if you got there late, um, you stood outside. They opened the windows, and you, stood out, so you sat outside on the lawn, and you listened from outside. So this was a really powerful movement. Um, so I'm sitting on the floor with my girlfriend, and they're singing those songs, hallelujah, and people are standing up to say, Jesus healed me from, delivered me from heroin. Jesus healed my body. Jesus healed my mind. And I'm like, the God who spoke to me is here. And the young man who was playing the guitar, his name was Ken Hughes, maybe three years older than me, um, in the middle of worship, he says, anyone want to receive Jesus? I'm like, I've been looking for that for like ever. And uh, he led me in a, a simple prayer, obviously my girlfriend too, and um, then he came over after the meeting was over. We were sitting on the floor. And I'd never read the Bible. I actually couldn't read. When I graduated from high school, I read on the third grade level. And uh, so he came over and he said, hey, you just received Jesus. And he just read a couple of simple passages out of the Bible. You're born again. I'm like, okay. I never heard any of those terms. You're born again. And you're like a little child. And um, you need a father. I'm like, yeah, well, that makes sense. I've needed a father my entire life. So that works for me. He brought over two men, probably two years, three years older than me, and he said, which one of these men do you want to be your father? <laughs> I just took the better looking one. <laughs> and that man became my father. And uh, he remained my father for many years. And I, I did his funeral eight years ago. And that was my entrance into the kingdom. And that changed my life. <laughs> it was kind of like an understatement, like, getting run over by a train say, yeah, it changed my life. <laughs> I met a man who was raised from the dead, and he goes, yeah, it changed my life. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet it did. <laughs> and then, you know, the second most impactful thing that ever happened in my life was getting married. And if getting married didn't change your life, your marriage sucks. <laughs> my marriage was awesome. I um, married my wife when she was 17, and We've had a, a really wonderful marriage, not trouble-free. Uh, sometimes it's taken Kathy up to 24 hours to know I'm right. <laughs> I have so many stories to tell you, I, I need to get moving. But I want to talk to you about the third most impactful experience I've ever had in my life. And I've had many in between of these. But um, uh, when I came to Bethel Church, I had a, a, a personal assistant who was also a prophetess, which is very interesting, because you'd come into work and she'd be like, you're fine, how am I? <laughs> you didn't get that, but anyway, you know. And uh, she's a really wonderful woman and served me for about 12 years at Bethel. But she was a very sensitive person in, in lots of ways, spiritually and emotionally, a very sensitive person. So one morning... Um, I uh, came into work, um, I think it was uh, on Tuesday morning, and she walked in my office and she looked really like she was, had been crying, which was, wasn't totally uncommon for Nancy. <laughs> and so, I, so she's kind of briefing me on what my day is going to be like, and I said, are you okay? And she said, yeah. I said, are you sure? She said, no. I said, did I say something to hurt your feelings? She said, no. I said, are you sure? She said, No. And then she said these words to me. She said, you don't realize how much people value you. You don't realize how much people value you. And you, you come out of your office, and you think you're being funny. But you're destroying the very people you're called to lead with your words. 
because you don't know how much people value you. And I said, did I say something to you? And she said, yeah. And she told me this thing. I had said, I thought I was being funny. She doesn't understand English sense of humor. <laughs> and uh, so I apologized to her, gave her a hug. Everything was fine. It wasn't one of those things like, oh, this is going to be, you know, six months of counseling or anything like that. And uh, I really, the day went on and we interacted the rest of the day. It was, she was fine. There was really no... Um, there was really no problems, and, and that, that wasn't uncommon in our relationship. So um, I went, to, went home that night, not thinking about it at all, never even told Kathy about it, um, and went to bed that night, and I had a dream. Have you ever had a dream where you can't remember the dream, but the feeling of the dream stays with you when you wake up? It totally freaks you out, right? So I wake up in the middle of the night, I don't know, it's 2, 3 in the morning, and I have this overwhelming sense that somebody it, really close to me died, like, like a close friend died. Like just, I have this overwhelming sense of grief. And I have this part of a verse running through my mind, which was, uh, I knew was a proverb. I hadn't read Proverbs for a couple, three years, so I knew it wasn't something I had read that day, but it was just this part of the verse. The earth cannot hold up under a pauper or a slave when he becomes a king. So I'm, I'm leaning against my headboard. I know that you know what this is like. You're not all the way awake. You're trying to like gather your thoughts. You have these crazy feelings. I'm trying to think about what was the dream about. Maybe I should go back to sleep and see what the dream was about. And so I lean up against my headboard, just overwhelmed with grief. And I say, God, are you speaking to me? And immediately he says, yes, you are a pauper who's become a king. And it's time for you to change. And immediately I'm taken back in a vision to the morning standing in front of Nancy where she said to me, you don't realize how much people value you. You don't carry yourself like you understand that you're valuable and you're destroying the very people you're supposed to be leading with your words. In the middle of the night, the Lord says to me, do you know why Moses had to be raised in Pharaoh's house? Do you know how why Moses had to be raised in Pharaoh's house? I'm thinking, I didn't know Moses had to be raised in Pharaoh's house. You know, you know the story? Like you read it in the Bible, you've seen the movie. <laughs> Remember Pharaoh's killing all the firstborn sons? Remember the story? And, and his mother puts him in a basket and sends him down the Nile River, and the princess, the king's daughter, rescues him, and he ends up being raised in Pharaoh's house, in the king's house. Do you remember the story? So the Lord said to me, And do you know why Moses had to be raised in Pharaoh's house? I said, No, but I bet you're going to tell me. He said, because a man who's in slavery internally cannot free people who are in slavery externally. Therefore, it was necessary for Moses to be raised as a prince so he could free my people. And he said, unlike Moses, who was raised to be a prince, you were raised to be a slave. And immediately I was taken back into my childhood and uh, revisiting several things that had happened in my life. I told you my father drowned when I was three. My mother remarried a man who was a very big man, six foot four, a bodybuilder, and when I was five years old. And the first incident I remember is I had grabbed some cookies and I was running out of the house. And he's, my mother was married to maybe, maybe a week. And he said to me, are you going to eat those cookies? I said, yes, sir. He said, you better. I get outside and I thought they were chocolate chip cookies. And I realized they were raisin cookies. So I threw them away, which tells you that even back then I had great discernment. And I, I, I must have went back into the house too soon to have eaten that many cookies. So he said to me, did you eat those cookies? 
I said, yes, sir. He said, no, you didn't. You're lying to me. And he took my pants off, took my underwear off, and with the buckle of his belt, he began to beat me. And blood was running down my legs, and my mother was screaming, and that incident repeated itself over and over in my life. And he used to say to me, you're the trash that came with the treasure. I did not marry you. I married your mother. And so the rules became, you know, stay out of his way. A child should be seen and not heard. And I was taught over and over, you're not valuable. Nobody cares what you think. And your job is to be seen and not heard. My mother got divorced. I told you about a little bit of that season. Remarried when I was 15. Another violent man. First, very first day he was with us, he picked up a table in our um, dinner table. We were having spaghetti that night, threw it at the wall because I had said something. I thought I was being funny. He thought I was being rude. He threw the table at the wall and looked at my mother and said, clean this effing mess up. And that scene repeated itself over and over and over. He broke, my, broke down my door. He used to wake me up by throwing a gallon of water on me in the morning. And I was taught, you are not valuable. Nobody cares what you think. I was raised proactively, intentionally, to be a slave. And the Lord said, you are a slave, and you've become a king. It's time for you to change, because you're destroying the very people I've called you to lead. I don't know how this works, really. I, you know, I don't know how predestination and free will work. But I figured out that when God says you're going to change, it doesn't feel like you have a choice. And God began to talk to me, and I went through a season where I could, hardly, I could hardly open the Bible. I mean, if I opened the Bible, I mean, I couldn't find, like, you know, G- Judas hung himself. You know, every place I opened was like, you're loved with an everlasting love. You were born for glory. You're amazing. You're a child of the king. I'd throw the Bible against the wall, and, it, you know, I loved you with an everlasting, I'm like, stop. <laughs> it's like, you're kissing me to death, you know. And I, was, I happened to be reading through the Bible that year when I had the encounter. I was actually in the book of Genesis. And, um, and I, was, I was reading about Jacob. I mean, I just happened to be reading about Jacob at this time. And I, I really identify with Jacob because his, his father didn't like him. His brother didn't like him. You know, he, and, you know, his mother loved him. You know? Your mother always loves you. You can be a drug addict, drug addict and your mother's like, you know, he, he's, he's training to be a pharmacist, you know? <laughs> Well, I really related to Jacob. I, I understood him. And, uh, and Jacob, as you know, he goes down to this well. He meets this woman named Rachel, and he says, i got to marry this woman. And the short story is he makes a deal with her father who, you know, Jacob, as we know, Jacob's a liar. You know, Jacob's name in Hebrew means a shyster or, or, or liar, deceiver. And he doesn't realize it, but he's about to marry into a family that lies more than he does. So he works seven years for her, for her, for Leban, her father, so that he could get Rachel. You know the story. He wakes up on the honeymoon night in the bridal chamber in the morning, and Leah, her older sister, is in his bed. Now, why it took him all night to figure out it was Leah, I have no idea, but thank God for electricity. <laughs> he runs out of the bridal chamber, and he says to her father, did I not work seven years for Rachel? And he said, yes. He says, is that, La- is that not Leah? He said, oh, I forgot to tell you, we always marry off the oldest first. <laughs> like, you had seven years to tell me, you know. But you can have her on credit. You take her tonight, work for me for seven more years. 
So, you know, he, Jacob ends up working for his father-in-law for 14 years. And it's not fun. You know, his wives, they don't like each other. And most of the time they don't like him. His father doesn't like him. His brother doesn't like him. And his father-in-law is a complete liar. So finally he says, I'm leaving. I'm taking my stuff, my kids, my wives, and I'm leaving. But Leban is a really good Jewish businessman. And he knows that Jacob is making him a fortune. So he says to Jacob in Genesis chapter 30, stay with me and I'll give you a signing bonus. This is kind of the Chris Valentin unauthorized edition of the Message Bible. And Jacob says, listen, it doesn't matter what agreement we make because you've changed my wage 10 times. Have you ever played cards with somebody or played a game with them and every time you win, they change the rules? And, Jacob, and Levin says to Jacob, no, no, listen, you name the wage, I will pay it. He said, all right, I'll work for all the spotted and speckled sheep and goats. If they're spotted and speckled, they're mine. If they're solid color, they're yours. And Levin says, okay, well, that's great. I'm sure Levin's thinking, Jacob's stupid, but a crazy thing happens. How many of you have ever read this story? Jacob goes down to the watering hole where the spot, where, I'm sorry, where the strong, where the, start over. Hello. <laughs> I often speak in tongues before I say it in English. You won't believe this. I, I, when I was born, I didn't speak English. I only spoke tongues. My parents had to actually teach me English. <laughs> Jacob went down to the watering hole where all the sheep and goats mate, and he takes branches and he carves spots and speckles in them. And when the strong sheep and goats are mating, he puts the branches, which have spots and speckles carved in them, in front of the watering hole where the sheep and goats mate. And the craziest thing happens. Whatever they see at the watering hole, they reproduce. And consequently, all the, spot, all the strong sheep are spotted and speckled. And all the ones like dragging a leg, got a bad eye. <laughs> They're all solid colors. And Jacob becomes rich. One day I'm reading that story. This is in the midst of my, if you will, crisis. Christ is. And I think to myself, you know what? This is not a lesson in agriculture. And I begin to realize, how many of you know, ladies, before there were mirrors, there were pools. When you got ready... You put on your makeup a thousand years ago. <laughs> you went to the pool. You looked in the pool. You saw your reflection in the pool. Are you with me? And I started realizing that you don't reproduce what you want to reproduce. Like this, this thing that was happening with Jacob and the spotted and speckled sheep and the way he put this, the, the branches before him, I started to realize this is actually a message to God's sheep of how we reproduce. We don't reproduce what we want to reproduce. We reproduce what we see at the watering hole of our imagination. Proverbs says it this way, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And I began to realize something, that you can spend, there's two ways to live. You can spend your life reacting to what you don't want to be, or you can spend your life responding to the vision God's given you for your life. But here's the struggle. If you react to what you don't want to be, you have to keep in mind what it is you don't want to be so you don't be it. But the challenge is, is that you become not what you want to become, but what you see at the watering hole of your imagination. So reacting to what you don't want to be only leads you to become the very thing you hate. And, and Bethel, I, for the first three years, I was our counselor. You can imagine what that was like. <laughs> How desperate they were. 
And I remember many people, and for the sake of time, I'll just tell you one story of people coming into my office. I've never met a child molester who wasn't themselves molested. I'm not saying that's 100% true, but it was in my life. And they would say sometime in the counseling session, I swore I'd never be like my father, my brother, my uncle, my cousin, my mother who molested me. And I'd become like the very person I hate. And I realized you don't become what you want to become. You become what you see at the watering hole of your imagination. And I was becoming like the very people I hated, which were my two stepfathers. And the Lord said, it's time to forgive. How many know unforgiveness will tether you to the past and undermine your divine destiny in God? Hello. If you have unforgiveness in your life, you need to let go of it. If we had more time, we'd spend a lot of time on that. But I'm telling you, as somebody who understands firsthand, I wish I would have learned this from a book, but I didn't. I learned it from the book I wrote. <laughs> and by the way, you know, if you have a crisis in your life, you know, write a book about it. Because it's better to be rich and miserable than poor and miserable. Because <laughs> at least you can go shopping, you know? John Maxwell said, Somebody once wrote, you are not what you think you are, and you're not what others think you are, but you become what you think others think you are. John Maxwell said, well, that's not exactly true. He said, you're not what you think you are, and you're not what others think you are, but you become what you think the most important person in your life thinks you are. Did you get all that? Yeah. You are not what you think you are, and you're not what others think you are, but you become what you think the most important person in your life thinks you are. Now, I think that's true, especially if the most important person in your life is God. Because then you become what you think God thinks of you. Here's the problem. If what you think God thinks of you isn't what he thinks of you, then you're not becoming what God thinks of you. You're becoming what you think he thinks, which isn't what he thinks. The story goes on in the life of Jacob. And Jacob finally does leave his father-in-law's house, and it, it, things are not good. Now Jacob is rich and miserable, which I told you is a big step up from being <laughs> poor and miserable. And he tells his father-in-law, I'm leaving. He takes his wives, his, his flocks, which he has many of, servants, and they, they leave. And Jacob gets, they, they, on the journey, Jacob gets partway through the journey, and he tells his wives and his servants, listen, you guys go over to this next city. I'll meet you there. But I'm going to go over to Jabbok a city named Jabbok, I'm going to get my life together. So Jacob goes to Jabbok. He's, again, not having a good life. And in chapter 32 of Genesis, you probably know the story, he prays in a place called Jabbok, which means empty and alone. Anybody ever visited there? Anyone ever born there? And in the city named Empty and Alone, he prays and he asks God for help. And God sends him an angel. Now, you know you're having a bad life. When the angel's sent to help you, he don't like you either. <laughs> and Jacob wrestles with the angel all night. It's a very popular story, right? Jacob wrestles with the angel all night. And finally, the angel says, let me go. It's, you know, it's dawn. Let me go. My shift is over. And Jacob says, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. And the angel breaks his dang leg. 
And the Bible says that, that Jacob hangs on to the angel and says, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. Finally, it's morning, and the angel says to him, What is your name? What is your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. And by the way, if your name's Jacob, it's an awesome name. I love the name Jacob. Don't have your mother write me any more letters. <laughs> but Hebrew, it means deceiver. So if your dad names you deceiver, it's not worse than a boy named Sue. <laughs> and the angel says to him, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob, deceiver, liar, cheater. He said, no longer, the angel said to him, no longer shall your name be Jacob. But your name shall be Israel. Israel names, means a prince with God. I love this part. And Jacob says, and what is your name? And the angel says, that's none of your dang business. <laughs> Have you ever wondered why the angel wouldn't tell him his name? I mean, Zacharias, you know, has Gabriel visits him. You know, Daniel has Michael visit him. And, you know, and, and Jacob's like, what's your name? It's none of your business. I always wondered why he wouldn't tell him his name until Paul said, do you not know you'll be judging angels? And somewhere in heaven, there's a guy dragging a leg, and there's an angel. <laughs> I mean, the question I have is, would you, if you wrestle with an angel all night for a blessing, I'm for a blessing. I mean, would you let him, would you let him loose after he broke your leg? If just because he called you by a name, I'd be getting me some stuff. <laughs> Seriously, I'd get me a new house. I'd get me a chariot. I'd get me some stuff. Well, I'll tell you what. You would if you realize that sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will take away your future. See, a lot of people live under an alias name, a name God did not call them. Names are very powerful. How many know that Abram couldn't have any children until his name was changed to Abraham, the father of a multitude? And woman, she had to be changed. Her name was changed to Eve, the mother of the living. And Simon to Peter. Saul to Paul. And how many know when, when Adam named the animals, he didn't call them Spot, Fifi, and Trigger? <laughs> that literally, that whatever he called the living creature, are you with me? Whatever he called the living creature. How many know that when God created the animals, when God created Adam and Eve, every other place God created, he spoke into existence. But on the sixth day, God stopped speaking, and he started molding. I mean, you know, God does a lot more in silence than he does when he talks sometimes. Selah. And God was silent on the day he created the animals, so Adam got to co-create with God when Adam was giving the animals names. How many understand that he was actually speaking into them their divine DNA? There's something powerful about a name. I'd like to propose to you that you are not a sinner when you receive Jesus Christ, that you're a saint. You're like, it's just a name. No, no, it's actually an identity. You were a sinner. See, remember Paul said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? How many of you know that the point he's making is, before you deserved it, Christ died for you? I hear people say all the time, before I deserved it, Christ died for me. But they don't remember that now you, don't, now you do deserve it. Because when you receive Jesus Christ, you went from a sinner to a saint. That's not called sanctification. That's called salvation. In fact, if you believe you're a sinner, you'll sin by faith. 
because you got righteous by faith. You've received the righteousness of God by faith. Romans 3.23, we quote it all the time. I know, my mind went blank. Thank you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die because you sinned. Of course he died because you sinned. He didn't just die because you sinned. He died because you fell short of the glory of God. You were, you were actually created for glory. You were created in his image and in his likeness. How many of you understand that God was the artist, Jesus was the model, and you're the painting? Whenever you say, I'm, I'm stupid, I'm an idiot, oh, you know, I'm terrible. How many understand you're talking about the artist and the model? You can't have a bad thought in your mind about you and not insult the artist and the model. <laughs> okay, this is a, definitely an English church. Which is good, bad, and ugly. Just like the American church. I, I'll tell you, I chose to share this this morning a lot because I've been to England many times and English people have, I mean, Americans have arrogance, pride, overconfidence. British people have false humility. And I believe it's killing you because I believe that you're destined to win, that you were born to win, that you're born to be champions. And how many of you know that God's called us to be this? To make disciples of all nations. Not just make disciples in nations, which is wonderful. But he's also called us to, be, to make disciples of nations. How many understand slaves do not disciple nations? Only kings do. And you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You used to be a sinner. But how many you understand that God actually changed your nature? You're no longer prone to sin. You're prone to righteousness. In fact... You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I hear people say things like, you know, I don't want to steal the glory of God. You can't steal what he gave you. John chapter 17. Have you, you know, I hear people read this chapter for other reasons. But Jesus said, Father, the glory you gave me, hello, I want to give to the American people. No, the glory you gave me, I want to give to them that they might be one. How many understand you can't steal what God gave you? And it's funny because we have this incongruent kind of schizophrenic theology because we'll, we'll be in worship and we're like, Lord, I give you glory. Well, where did you get it? How can you give something you don't have? I'm saying... I see all around the world people like, God, I give you glory, I give you honor, I give you power. I heard it this morning. Someone's shouting behind me. Very irreverently, by the way. <laughs> Lord, I give you glory, I give you honor, I give you power. And then, you know, you, they step off the stage and you go, man, that was amazing. That was awesome. And they're like, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. No, it wasn't, it wasn't that good. <laughs> Sorry, it wasn't that good. You can't give God something he didn't give you. How many have ever quoted Romans 8, 28? All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Have you ever wondered why all things work together for good? Have you ever read the next verse? From whom he foreknew, he 
predestined. And whom he predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. Why does everything work out for good in your life? Because he for whom he foreknew, that's you, he foreknew you. How I many you know he didn't make you choose him, but he knew you would? Why? Because he called you from the foundation of the world. You understand that time is an invention? God doesn't live in time. God lives outside of time. And by the way, God doesn't live in heaven. Heaven lives in God. I'm going to go to heaven and see God. No, God's already in you. <laughs> okay, where do we go? <laughs> Time's an invention. In God, if you'll notice Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that God, he separated the light from the darkness, and he called it a day. It's three, it's three verses later that God creates the sun and the moon. How many know God wasn't creating light and darkness? God was creating time. God doesn't live in time. Jesus was crucified from where? The foundation of the world. What's my point? My point is, is that before you knew Jesus, he knew you. He chose you from the foundation of the world. How did he do that? Well, I got saved in 1973. But before the foundation of the world, the father went to 1973. He said, Chris, will, he will choose me in 1973. I choose him first. <laughs> Whom he foreknew, he predestined. He didn't make me choose him, but he knew I would. Why? In his world, it's already over. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. Whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. What's the point? You can't even screw up your life. You were born for glory. And by the way, if you don't think you're a saint, two-thirds of the New Testament wasn't written to you. To the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at Philippi, to the saints at Colossus. How many of you understand you're called a saint? It matters. If you think that you're a sinner, then you will act like a sinner. How many know that you always create the environment around you that you believe you have within you? And by the way, if you take a, if you take a pauper, a slave, and you put him in a palace, they'll reduce the palace to a prison. In 1973 in our country, we had this big political movement, and we took homeless people, and we gave them government housing for free. Do you get it? For free. You know what happened? In three years, it became the worst ghettos in our nation. You know why? Because we put them in a palace, and they reduced the palace to the prison that's within them. But if you take a prince, and you put him in a prison, he'll make the prison a palace. That's the story of Joseph. Put Joseph in a jail. What's he do? He turns it into a palace. How many know that it matters what you think about you? Because whatever the environment you have within you, no, let's start over. Whatever the environment is that you believe you have within you, you'll create around you. How many of you understand that the way we grow the kingdom around you is to grow it within you? You just naturally become, you just, man, you just naturally manifest the kingdom that's in you around you. And I propose to us, I propose to England and to, and to every church in America and to every believer that our, our low self-esteem and our false humility is killing us. And more importantly, maybe, it's killing our nation. Because you have to have confidence in God and confidence in who God's made you to be to actually make disciples of nations. Next time someone tells you, oh, you know, thank you, or like, oh, that, you know, uh, I love to do this English people. I go, man, you are amazing. They go, <laughs> tell my wife. 
Next time one of your friends does that, just slap him. <laughs> just say to him, you were born for glory. You were born to be amazing. How many of you know when you look at Christ, it's like looking in a mirror? Why is it like looking in a mirror? And then we're transformed to what? From glory to glory. Who was Christ? No, you were, because you were born for glory. Would you stand? Put your hand on your heart and say this. I'm a child of the king. I'm beloved by the king. God is my daddy. I was born in his image and in his likeness. I look like my daddy. And I've been commanded by my daddy to be imitators of God. When I act like God, I'm being myself because I was made in his image. And I was called to reign and to rule with him. Jesus, I thank you that you transformed me by your power, by your blood, from a sinner to a saint. I'm a new creation. I'm a whole new creation. And old things are all passed away. And everything's new in me. And I thank you for it. Amen. Thank you so much.